as I'm back uh, stage praying and, and listening to the music, uh, I, I couldn't help but think um, as we planned this King Jesus series, um, we were thinking of our whole Lebanon Christian Church family. And I know that as you look around the room, more and more people are coming back, but we still have several of you at home who aren't here and you are still missed. And um, we continue to pray for you as we pray for everyone in this room. And we hope that our King Jesus series um, just, just leaves our church forever changed. I was thinking about the inauguration this week, uh, Wednesday morning, and uh, one of the things that this election cycle, for whatever reason, I paid attention to more than others, and it probably just has to do with getting older, was the difference between president-elect and president. And I'm guessing throughout my lifetime, we've talked about a president-elect and the president, but I just was more in tune with it this year. And I got to thinking about the difference. What's the difference between a president-elect and the president? Really, it comes down to, I think, one word authority, right? The, the president-elect has, has been elected, and he's waiting to have the full authority of that office. Or hopefully one day we can say she is waiting to have the full authority of that office. They have limited authority, right? I mean, the president-elect, they, they get a security detail. Um, they get to start having press conferences. People start listening more to uh, their opinions and their future policies. But but none of those things can come to be just yet. They, they have limited authority. But the president, on the other hand, he has absolute authority for that position, right? He, he, he can still act policies or enact policies or, or sign declarations. So really, president-elect and president, the big difference is, is one that's limited in their authority and, and one has full authority. Which kind of leads me to this question in light of King Jesus. Does King Jesus, does God get limited authority in our life, or does he have full authority in our life? Is God simply a president-elect for us, or a king-elect, or is he king? That's really the challenge of the next seven weeks. What would it look like to submit to the rule and to the reign of God as king, of Jesus as king? Well, what would it mean for our lives if, if, if God really is the king of kings, if Jesus really is the king of kings and lord of lords? Well, what should that mean for my day-to-day -day life? What should that mean for my choices, my thoughts, my actions? What should it mean for my relationships? What should it mean for my emotions? What should it mean for how I find my way in this world? What would it look like to let God truly be on the throne, to, to, to have my life shaped by the reality that Jesus Christ is king? And by the way, that word Christ is just rich with royal uh, terminology, royal thought. It has to do with the chosen one, the anointed one, which is a term that was saved for kings who were anointed. And so in this journey of the next seven weeks, we're going to be challenged. Um, we started praying for this series months ago. I was introduced about a year and a half ago uh, to this um, idea of truly submitting to Jesus as king. Now, now I saw uh, words in scripture, king of kings and lord of lords, and, and I knew about Messiah and Christ and, and what those words meant. 
But I was just deeply challenged about a year and a half ago to say, what would it really look like for my life to be found underneath the full authority of, of King Jesus? And I found that through a, another pastor, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, David Young, wrote a book called King Jesus that basically walks us through scripture and shows us how, how, how God has kind of shaped things with him on the throne. And so we started praying, saying, God, what, what do you want to do in the life of Lebanon Christian Church? And just kept coming back to this idea of we need to be a church, a collection of disciples of Jesus that are just living under the authority of King Jesus. And so my prayer for you uh, over the coming weeks is that you would be open uh, to God's encouragement, uh, to his correction, uh, to the challenge of following him and submitting to his rule and reign in your life. Will he be king or will he be king-elect? And so I think as we make this journey, it's fitting to just start by showing you that from the very beginning, God has wanted to rule and reign over our lives. And really, that's not even a fair statement because when we say God has wanted, it means that it's, it's optional. Here's the reality. If God is God, if he is the ultimate king of kings, he's going to rule and reign no matter what. It's just a question of whether or not we're going to submit to that rule and to that reign. So as we start in Genesis, we can begin and see that God is in charge. In the beginning, who created the heavens and the earth? God did, right? Who's the one that has the authority to speak and light bursts forth uh, at the speed of light and, and brings its existence into the world? Who, who, who has the authority to speak and uh, chasms are made and filled with water and mountains are formed? Who has the authority to speak and birds fly and snakes slither? Who has the authority to speak and, and, and the whole world is teeming with life? Who has the authority to craft and to form mankind, humankind, in his image? God alone. He's in charge. There's this picture from the very beginning that God alone rules and he reigns. And we see this unique relationship with man and woman in the garden. But yet who's still in charge? God is. He's the one that says we want you to fill the earth and subdue it. We want you to rule over every fish in the sea and bird in the air. Adam, I want you to name the animals. Adam and Eve, I want you to tend to the garden. I want you to eat from this tree. No, you can't eat from that tree. He, he's in charge. It's a picture of God ruling and God reigning. And even when sin enters the world, God is still on the throne. And we can fast forward in the pages of Genesis to the story of Abram, who becomes Abraham. And, and who's the one in charge? God. He's calling Abraham out of Ur, the land of Ur of the Chaldeans, and he's telling him to go to a place that he's about to show him. And Abraham's like, okay, so where is that place? And God's like, well, just follow me and I'll show you. He, he leads him. He guides him. He directs him. He's in charge. And when Abraham's offspring gives way to Isaac, which gives way to Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. And then we have the 12 tribes of Israel through uh, Jacob's offspring. God's people still look to God to direct them, to lead them, to guide them. As we lean into the pages of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, we see a picture of a people that looks to God to lead them. And he tells them that he has a land for them. There's a kingdom for them. 
He is a king who sits on a throne. When he draws them out of Egypt, he is their king, rescues them, and he leads them. He leads them with a pillar of fire uh, by night and a cloud by day. He is leading them. He is their king. He gathers, the, gathers them at a mountain. I think it's Exodus 19. And uh, he, he gives them commands and he gives them decrees just like a king would. He's the one who rules. He's the one who reigns. He's the one who has authority. And as Moses' leadership gives way to Joshua's and Joshua brings them into the promised land, guess who still sits on the throne? God does. Who's still in charge? God is. As the Israelites rebel and judges are appointed to rule over them, who's the one appointing the judges? Who's the one calling the judges? It's, it's God. As Israel clamors for a king like the other nations have, it's God that ultimately sits on the throne and grants them their desire to have a king. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a few moments. As the time of the kings gives way to even more rebellion and the people are taken away to captivity, they're disciplined because of their actions. But who orchestrates the discipline? God, because why? He's in charge. It's not until we get to the Psalms where we actually have God really referred to in uh, kingship terms. And there are several Psalms that are more like royal Psalms that speak of God as king ruling from the heavens. The words of the prophets calling people back from captivity and to repentance. They're calling people to submit to the reign and to the rule of God as king. And the prophets even tease a coming day when there will be one who comes from God to rule and to reign. Emmanuel, God with us. Forecasting, foreshadowing, alluding to when Jesus would come. The Messiah. The King on earth. The King who will live, who will die, who will be raised again, who will go to sit at God's right hand. King Jesus. And as the words of the Old Testament give way to the words of the New, we get the picture of the Messiah coming born to Mary and to Joseph. And I think it's fitting that the very first gospel is Matthew's gospel because he traces in his very first words the genealogy of Jesus. And he pays careful attention to show how Jesus comes in the line of David. Because there was a promise made to David, I think it's 2 Samuel chapter 7, that there will be one to rule on David's throne forever. And he would rule with perfection. And that was pointing to Jesus, to the Messiah. God God is king. Jesus himself says that I am in the Father and he is in me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Essentially, I am God in the flesh. I am king. Jesus is king. And that picture continues throughout the letters of the New Testament. One of my favorite places is, is to read Paul's words to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Again, there's a picture, royal, a royal picture In Philippians 2, 5 through 11, there's this famous section that uh, speaks about, as believers, as disciples of Jesus, us needing to have the same attitude uh, that was also in Jesus. And Paul talks about how Jesus had all the advantages of deity, but he chose to not hold on to those and instead became a human. He humbled himself. He became obedient to death on a cross. But, but look at how he finishes these poetic words, verses 9 through 11. Therefore, God exalted him, the him is Jesus, 
God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. It just evokes this image of people bowing before a king and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's a picture of Jesus as king. There's this picture from beginning to end, the story of humanity from beginning to end, the, the, the story of scripture from beginning to end, that God is in charge. God is on the throne. God is king. Jesus is king. And that continues to the very end. So the most famous words of Revelation, this vision that John had about God coming um, in Christ to, to completely redeem the earth and restore it and renew it. Revelation 19 verse 16. This famous picture on his robe, speaking of Jesus, and on his thigh, he has this name written perhaps even tattooed, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There is a consistent and universal message in Scripture that God is in charge, that Jesus is King. And if that's true, that forces you and I to ask the question, am I submitting to the rule and the reign of King Jesus? Or is he simply king-elect in my life? And if we're just honest, isn't that the struggle? Like we can acknowledge with our heads, yep, uh, God is king. Craig, I get it. Jesus is king. Like I'm not going to disagree with Revelation. I mean, it's pretty cool. Jesus has tattooed on his thigh, king, king, lords, lords. I get it. He's king. But it's a whole different thing to submit our thoughts, our attitudes, our actions, our words, our choices, our emotions, our relationships, and say, okay, if you're the king, let me live every, like do everything in accordance with what you want, king. It's the struggle. And just in case you feel beat up in this moment, it's the struggle that I have. And I want you to see not only is it a universal truth that God is king, but it's a universal struggle that we struggle to submit to his rule and to his reign. Because as we trace the journey from Genesis to Revelation, we can also trace the journey of people who rebelled against him, who struggled to submit to that rule and to that reign. That doesn't mean we stop striving, but it's the reality of the struggle, right? Uh, I want to take you to these words in 1 Samuel chapter 8. And as I flip through the pages of Scripture, please understand um, you... You don't have to know where books of the Bible are. I try to remind you of this from time to time. Uh, the beauty of Bible publishers is there's a thing called the table of contents, and you can find the pages. And there's no shame in using that or doing that. Those of you that use your smartphones have it pretty easy because you can just tap your finger a few times on your screen and you're there. But in 1 Samuel, we, we have these days that when Israel had been ruled by judges, they're transitioning to being ruled by kings. And what you're going to see is that it was really never God's desire for his people to be ruled by earthly kings, but he knew it was going to happen. You can go back to Deuteronomy, I think it's chapter 17, and he talks about the kings that would need to lead Israel. Not because God wanted them to have that, but he knew the time was coming when they would want that and what it would take to be that type of king. Well, in 1 Samuel 8, the transition from judges to kings happens, and I want you to hear kind of how that story unfolds. In the first four verses of chapter 8, we learn that Samuel's getting old. 
Samuel's been one of the best judges that Israel has ever had. He loves God. He fears God. The early chapters of 1 Samuel uh, talk about kind of his heart for the Lord. He, he, he lived in the temple complex with Eli, and um, there's just this beautiful relationship. But as Samuel ages, he's like, somebody else needs to be the spiritual leaders of Israel to help him follow God, to honor God, to submit to him. And so he appoints his children. And guess what? His children don't seem to care for the ways of God. Verse 4 tells us that they accept bribes. They're dishonest. They do all this messed up stuff. And so the elders of Israel come together to tell Samuel they want someone else to lead them. And this is what happens. Verse 5, 1 Samuel 8. The elders said to him, you are old. It's always nice to hear that from other people, right? And your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. I don't have time to unpack layers of this, but there are hints here that there were things that were off among God's people way beyond Samuel's children. First of all, the elders of Israel, these leaders among the tribes, they, they come to him and they say, um, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. It seems that the elders of Israel weren't even attributing the ways Samuel was leading to God at that point. They liked how Samuel led. And they really wanted Samuel's sons to do what Samuel did, but they don't even attribute it to, to God. They don't say that your sons don't follow God's ways. They don't follow your ways, Samuel. Now appoint a king to lead us. And who are they comparing themselves to? The other nations, they're already losing sight of the one who made them and loves them and came to rule and reign over them. Samuel and God's conversation is telling, verse 6, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. Here's a freebie, uh, not connected to King Jesus. What would happen if we as people, when someone displeased us, just went and prayed to the Lord first rather than going to our coworker or complaining to somebody else. Maybe we get a really clear answer like Samuel did. Verse seven, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected. These are painful words. But they have rejected me as their king. The people that God made the people that God created, the people that God had purposes and plans for, the, the people who he wanted to rule and to reign over, not for his own like simple pleasure, although it is part of it, but for their own good as well, rejected him as king. And verse 8 is telling, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me, serving other gods, so they are doing to you. God says, this has been a historical struggle, Samuel. Don't take it personal. The people have long struggled to accept my rule and my reign. God is saying, essentially, this is just the way these people are. And we can look back to the garden and Adam and Eve neglecting God's clear command. And we can go to Cain killing his brother Abel. And we can look at the Tower of Babel and the flood with Noah and the rebellion from Abraham on. And we can see that, yes, that's the story of people. We struggle to accept the rule 
in the reign of God. And we can fast forward to the New Testament and see that people struggle with Jesus' authority. And we can look at the letters of Paul and the letters of Peter and the letters of John and see there's a struggle to accept the authority of God. And then we can find ourselves and look ourselves in the mirror and say, yep, I'm just like that. I struggle. But just because we struggle to accept the absolute rule and reign of King Jesus doesn't mean we can't improve. And so over the coming weeks, we're going to challenge you. I'm going to be challenged. What's kept me from it? What are the obstacles that have stood in the way? What are areas that uh, are common hiccups for us as human beings in the United States of America that keep us from surrendering to the rule and reign of God? And we're going to find the encouragement forward because rooted in the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, is a clear description of what it looks like to live for King Jesus. Then we're going to unpack that in the final weeks of the series. I'm excited for the journey with you. Um, it's going to be uncomfortable at times for all of us, but I believe at the end we'll find a people devoted to God who are worshiping, more, uh, worshiping him more and relating to him more as their absolute king and not just their king elect. There's a hashtag that's already trending um, just, what, four days into Joe Biden's presidency. It trended, by the way, during Donald Trump's presidency. It trended even during Barack Obama's presidency. At least I found it through the last three presidents. And, and here's the hashtag. You probably know it. Not my president, right? You've probably seen it. It shows up in memes. It's on social media. When, when, when someone, and maybe even you, when you post hashtag not my president, uh, what are you declaring? I don't accept that person's authority, right? I don't accept that they sit in that position of authority over me. What if we would come to see that when we reject the authority of Jesus over certain areas of our life, uh, we're essentially just tweeting out hashtag not my king. Like, God, I'll, I'll give you this part, <laughs> but you're not getting that part. Not my king here. Not my king there. My hope as we journey through King Jesus is that you'll identify those areas. I can't do that through, for you, um, but God's spirit can do that in you. And you would come to see and bring your life under alignment right, his rule and reign. Because let me share this with you. We may struggle with submission and authority and surrender. Those aren't things we prize in American culture, right? We prize our rights. We love that we're a democracy and we get our say. Uh, we don't like the word submit, surrender, or authority. But when we take rule and ownership of rule over our own lives, and we make messes of it, don't we? Like, we realize pretty quickly we're not fit to be kings and queens of our own lives. We need somebody else that is smarter and better, and it doesn't come in the form of a human being. It comes in the form of the God who made us and created us. And so my hope is that as we make this journey that you will experience God's kingship in a whole new way. Something that excites me in this series, by the way, is that it's not just those of you that come and worship in this room or watch online that are discovering this. Our children down the hall are looking at King Jesus. Uh, Mallory, our children's minister, is teaching them. This is their bottom line today. Let me not mess it up. Uh, King Jesus is the only king we need. That's what she's teaching the kids this morning. Right now, there are life groups meeting upstairs with our junior high and high school students, and they're looking at the idea of Jesus as king. And so together, we're on this journey to say, what does it look like, God? What does it look like to submit to your rule and your reign? And I'm excited where it may lead us in the future. I think sometimes maybe we resist the lordship of King Jesus, um, him ruling and reigning in our lives. 
because we have these examples of earthly leaders that are uh, no bueno, <laughs> uh, they are no good, um, and we think that if our earthly leaders fail, then maybe that God is a failure, and I hope you'll come to see that um, our earthly leaders fail because they were never really meant to be perfect leaders. And we, we don't win by comparing our earthly leaders to a God who is perfect love and perfect mercy and perfect grace and perfect justice, who's unselfish in all his ways. And so let's give God a chance to sit on the throne. And I share that with you. If, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you may be saying, well, what about me? Well, I hope that you'll be at least impressed over the coming weeks with the greatness of who God is, and then you can just make an intelligent choice of whether or not you want to submit to that authority or not. But I hope you can divorce your own impressions about earthly leaders from the God who loves you and is for you and not against you. There are some words uh, in C.S. Lewis' book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that I want to end with. You may know the story in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, the Pevensey kids, uh, find this magical wardrobe in their home. And they, they can pass through it into this magical world called Narnia. And one of the things that happens in Narnia is that the animals talk. Uh, Narnia is ruled by a king. His name is Aslan. He happens to be a lion. So Lucy Pevensey is discovering that Narnia is ruled by Aslan. And so she asks, is, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. My, my hope is that in the coming weeks, you'll see that Jesus is far from safe. He, he calls us to things that can be um, extremely hard, to make choices that are difficult for us, to say no to things we want to say yes to. But as we say yes to him, we see just how good and how perfect he is. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, it's a mystery in a number of ways um, that you in all your perfection would choose to desire and enable an incredible relationship with human beings made in your image. And God, we know that it's been a perpetual struggle for us to submit to your rule and your reign. But Father, I, I ask that you would call us into deeper obedience in the coming weeks that we could see that our hope in this world and our direction in this world ultimately isn't found in men or women that rule over us, but it's found in you. And may you give us the courage, may you give us the strength, may you give us the peace to trust in your kingship. Uh, guide us, Father, and call us to you. Amen. Oh, will you please stand with us?
of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever breathe. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you.
show you a picture. Um, maybe, maybe not. Yes, yes. Sorry. Um, this is some word art that was drawn by one of our high school students, uh, Ella Wortley. And I wanted to show you for a couple of reasons. One, I, I love how God gifts people in so many ways. Some of you are artistic. Some of you are great craftsmen and craftswomen in a number of different ways. Uh, some of us aren't. Um, uh, but I, I, want, I, want, I want to see people use their gifts and how God has wired them. And so I, I feature this because I want you to know that throughout King Jesus, if God has gifted you in some way, sewing, uh, crocheting, uh, crafting with wood or sculpting or drawing or writing, if you're inspired as you discover King Jesus um, and you create something, would you just grab a picture of that and shoot me an email, craig at lebanonchristian.org, and um, I'll, I'll just spend some time showing these from week to week because I want to see how God is stirring you as an artist. I know uh, this week in our children's ministry, um, Kids Auditorium, they were painting canvases um, about how King Jesus, like what they thought of when they thought of King Jesus. And so we'll show some of those this coming week as well. Uh, so if you have art, share it. Uh, we'd love to celebrate that and see how God's stirring you. Second thing is, I think we have a few books left. Uh, King Jesus book by David Young is an extra resource. You can go deeper in this series. Our life groups are, are building their life group discussions on it. So you can grab one on the way out. If we run out, don't worry, we'll have some more here by next week. And um, that's all I got for you. I'm glad you're here. Be careful going home. Go in peace.